About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age, to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust to us to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Thank you, Megan, for reading. So this morning's passage comes as a warning, and warnings can be complicated things. If you've ever given one, if you've ever received one, you know there are complications that can come with warnings. Imagine with me, imagine you have a child who's really important to you. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a grandkid, a nephew, a niece, uh, a child, uh, a friend has a child, and say in your house you have some pretty potent chemicals or you have some medicine where it's like they don't need to be getting into that. And so imagine there, it's not out of the question because of the danger that you would, you would tell them like, here's where I keep some stuff. And the label says like, you don't need to be in this, so you need to be extremely, extremely careful around this. You're pointing it out so that, so that you don't want them finding it on their own and, and finding it and getting curious, and you want them to appreciate if you, if you were to open it, if you were to take it or eat it, like this would mean like not, you'd be very, very sick, and so you're trying to communicate to them a warning. But as you give the warning, Different kids might take that different ways, so it's quite possible that, quite possible that a kid just doesn't listen, right? They hear it, and they don't do any, anything about it. They do get curious, and now their curiosity could get the better of them. You know that's a possibility, even in giving them the warning, but still, you give it to them. What you also know is that some kids may be so sensitive, and they could be so fearful that when you give a warning it actually causes them to be more fearful and they take it the wrong way and they, 
they think, well, have I done something wrong? Is that why you're giving me this warning? Have I, you know, have I, have I messed up already? What if I, what if I can't, what if I do something by accident? And they begin to get all fearful about that. So warnings, again, can go a couple different ways. And it feels like a little bit, that's the scenario you find in the book of Hebrews, because there are lots of warnings in Hebrews, and those warnings can land in different ways. The warning we're looking at in Hebrews 5 and 6, of course, is bracketed by chapters before that are talking about a great high priest we have and what that means for us, what a friend we have in Jesus. We've just sung about it. And then also the, the chapters following this are going to kind of unpack exactly what it means that we do have that priest. And so in the middle of it is a warning, is this warning. And again, warnings are complicated. The writer of Hebrews does not want you to ignore this warning, so he makes it very sharp and very clear. But knowing that some people are going to take this and become extremely fearful, extremely worried and concerned, the writer of Hebrews also gives some words of encouragement. At the end of the day, there's just times where, and our culture doesn't quite have this, but there's times that culture, it, or there's times in this world where you've got to communicate a warning. And actually the most loving thing is not avoiding that, but actually expressing that. Because you care, you warn. You need to give the warning, you have to, even if you're aware that it could go the wrong way. What this text does, it's a, it is a tough, serious passage. So probably not surprising to you, I have books like most difficult passages in the Bible, hard texts, navigating the hard questions, and almost every one of those books has Hebrews 6 in it. So where we're looking at today, just so you know, if you go, man, that, that seems like hard and I, I'm not sure I grasp all of it. Well, you're in good company, I think, with Christians for a couple thousand years who have read this and gone, this seems serious. It gives us reasons to look inside. It warns us, but it also, it also has the potential to, to really encourage us today. But I'd actually like to start here. I'd like to start with this text and how it leads us to an evaluation. An evaluation. We need to undergo a spiritual evaluation is, I think, the message of some of these first verses in, or some of these last verses in Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews is going to bring them under an evaluation. He is going to call out things in their life, but he's doing this, hear this, he is doing this from a position of being for them, not against them. So when he is evaluating what he is seeing, he is doing this on their behalf. He loves them, he cares about them, but he's still going to bring them to a place of evaluating where they are. Do you hear it? Do you hear the evaluation? You can actually read it. Look at, look at verse 11 here in Hebrews 6. Verse 11, he's saying, we, we have a lot more to explain, but you have become dull of hearing, not, not unintelligent, but you're just not listening to what I'm saying. You're, you're sluggish is another word for it. It's like what happened this morning when the alarm went off and I hit the snooze. It's like, what day is this? What do I have to do? To, oh, I have to do that today. Okay. It's like when you respond, you're, you're not processing everything. And he says, you're dull of hearing you're not willing to listen. Verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers. But it's like we're going over the ABCs again. We're going over basic principles. You're forgetting the basics that you've been taught. I wonder if it's something like, 
I remember a scary thought, but I remember as a teenager going through driver's ed, learning all the basics of that, so that you could drive without having to be retaught all those basics, so that when my wife called one Monday and said, you got to get home, there's a baby about ready to be born here, and I need you to take me to the hospital. I didn't go, okay, let me call my driver's ed instructor. I need to remember, how, to, how do you do this? It's like, no, no, you, you took those classes so that you would know how to do that. For those moments, I mean, we could go through a ton of things where you learn the basics so that you can then apply them. And he's saying, you forget it, you, you've forgotten these things. You need milk in verse 12, not solid food. Verse 13, which means you're unskilled and you're childish, you're unskilled in the, the, the words of righteousness. Verse 14, you're not mature. You're not, this is the evaluation. You're not, you're not doing some of these basic things for yourself. You can't handle, you can't handle it. Verse 14, if you, if you were putting these things into constant practice, you would be able to discern right from wrong, good from evil, but you're left in a place where it seems like you have no idea what is right and what's wrong. You have no idea what is safe and what's dangerous. This is not a good place to be in. Do you hear, do you hear this press? Do you hear this evaluation? It'd be very easy to say, well, yeah, this group has gotten stuck spiritually. But actually, I don't know that it's stuck. I actually don't know that that's really a category as much as they are either going downward or backward. That, that's what's so concerning is this trajectory is not a good one. And so he gives an evaluation. He said, we should have been here, but I feel like we've had to back up. You should have been able to teach. Like all Christians can bring something to the table of encouraging and instructing. All of us can bring that to the table, even if you're a new Christian. But, but look where you are in chapter 6 and verse 1. He actually goes over some of the basics. He, he says, we want to leave, not leave in the sense of like never have to think about, but actually to build on. Let's, let's leave some of these elementary doctrines and, and let's, that these doctrines of repentance and faith and washings and the laying on of hands and resurrection and eternal judgment. And like, those are the kinds of things that you should be able to build on. So you ought to be at the place, Christians ought to be growing to the place where you begin thinking, okay, what, the fact that I belong to Christ, what does that mean for the words I say and the words I don't say, the tone I use, the way I use the speech that God is moving me to say or maybe leading me not to say? Like, you should be able to build on, we should be able to build on your reliance, your confidence in Christ, your faith in Christ. What should that mean for relationships in your life? What should that mean for the relationships you don't have but want to have and you feel like you're lonely? Shouldn't we be building on that in your life? Shouldn't, what, what does it mean that you are to be repenting, a life of repentance? What does that mean for sexual integrity? What does that mean for the decisions you make? the purity you pursue? What, is it, what, what, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is in your life, especially like applying that into areas where you're fearful or depressed? 
how do you build on these things that are foundational? How do you, how do you build on that in your life? What does the resurrection say about your suffering? What does the resurrection say about your life's goals? Anything? Does it have anything to do with that? What does your baptism say? Being baptized into a community of believers, what does that have to say about your sacrificial love for others, seeking their needs even above your own? What does eternal judgment say about any cynicism I would have or any bitterness of like, you know, life hasn't really been good to me, hasn't really been fair, hasn't been right. What is eternal judgment? How does that, how does that lean into the rest of my life? You see, I mean, these are things that, these are basic kinds of things, but they are meant to be put into practice. We don't discard them. We, we use them. We learn. And almost every person I know who has ever gotten like skilled at something, good at something, they've been willing to be evaluated. And I wonder if you are. I'm not saying it's easy. Often it's hard to be evaluated. But are you, are you willing to even expose yourself? Listen, my, my evaluation of you may or may not be that big of a deal. But when Scripture comes, when God's estimation, His evaluation of you and where your heart is, where your trajectory is, that is most important. Could you evaluate, maybe even with some close friends? Where are things? Is it quite possible that, I mean, other areas of life, you have a progress report or a quarterly review. Is it quite possible that you could benefit from some evaluation of where things are spiritually? Maybe checking the spiritual vital signs, going, is everything okay? If it's not, what do we need to do? Where do we need to go? There's an evaluation, but in this passage, the evaluation leads straight to a pretty strong warning. A pretty strong warning. This passage is actually debated. There's tons of pages shared about this idea of a warning, and I want to make sure we hear the warning loud and clear. Because of that, I want to read verse 4 through 6. Here's the warning. Writer Hebrews says this, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, holding Him up to contempt. That warning, it's kind of two dimensions of it. As I think about it, it's the who. Who's being talked about here? And what are they being warned? I mean, we know the audience, the Hebrews are being addressed, and we know by extension we are as well. But one of the debates seems to be around like, are these, are these people believers that are being addressed? I mean, look at the description there in verses, you know, four and five. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty pointed description. And some would go, ah, actually, they're not quite Christians. They're almost Christians, maybe not completely Christian, but, but have been around, around Christian things. And then others would say, no, this seems like a description, a very good description of what it means to be a Christian. Actually, I am convinced that, that they... 
this is a description of Christians. I mean, it's hard to find some better ones than they are enlightened. They have received the light. They acknowledge the message is true. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've experienced God's generosity. To say they share in the Holy Spirit, they partake in the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. They taste the goodness of the word. They know from experience God's word is good. They taste the powers of the age to come. They experience the power of time when God rules. When I, when I read this, I say, that seems like a, a way you would describe Christians. Those all seem like good descriptors. And again, I know there's differences of opinion. Something else that stands out, and, and this, again, is going to take us thinking about it and thinking about it carefully, is I notice there's a shift in exactly how he is addressing people. So all throughout the book of Hebrews, and even Dan mentioned it to open our service there, there's all kinds of we and you language. So he is constantly pointing to them, pointing to us and going we and you and we are trying to do this and you. But when you get to this warning, it, it is interesting. I don't think it's uh, coincidental that it isn't we. He's not even saying that this is them. He changes the description a little bit. And notice in verse 4, he actually says this is uh, the case of those. It sets up almost a hypothetical group. Uh, do, you, do you see that? A case of those who have been enlightened, those who have tasted the gift. He's certainly talking to them, but, he's, he, he's, but he gives no indication that he's talking ab- about them. He's talking to them, giving them this warning. So there's the who, and then there's the what. What is he saying could happen? Well, he says in verse 4, something impossible, like that this would be impossible. What would be impossible? He describes something impossible in verse 4. Again, this is, this is challenging, but he says it's verse 6, it would be impossible to kind of re-crucify Jesus. That's not going to happen. It'd be impossible for him to be held up in contempt. We, we sang a moment ago, great are you, Lord, in what we're not holding him up. That, that's impossible for him to be re-crucified, put back on the cross. I think implied in that is also another impossibility. Impossible if you go back on him. It's impossible if you were to reject him. I'm not talking about ups and downs in your faith. I'm talking about turn your back on him, finally and definitively. If you were to decide there's another way, and repentance and faith is not that way, I'm going to go a different path. I'm going to turn away from believing. It's impossible to find another way back home than repentance and faith. Part of the tension, and I I hope you feel it when you read a passage like this. There's so many passages in the Bible that say God saves for keeps. Right, Romans 8 says this, nothing will separate us from his love. John 10 says this, the Father and the Son are working together for our salvation. Ephesians says this, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity at work, Father, Son, and Spirit, guaranteeing we will be saved. So we feel that. And yet this passage comes as a warning. A warning to believers. I mean, we hear this. And our ears are wide open. And the last thing I want to do is actually take the volume down. It seems like it's the warning's like at a 10. I, 
I don't think it, I have the liberty to take it down to a two and go, actually, it's not that big of a deal. It's really not that serious. He's talking about something else. I actually think, no, no, the writer of Hebrews wants us to feel the warning. We don't water it down. We don't skate around it. If the evaluation gives us pause to look into our lives, then, then we feel the warning, which I think should make us ask some questions, even if they're uncomfortable. Like, is this warning for me? Have I ever been tempted? Have you ever been tempted to walk away? If you were tempted, like, what would be the appeal? I'm guessing it would be different for each one of us. What, what would be the appeal that would draw your heart away from following Jesus? I think this warning is pressing us. Do you know yourself? What would be the path? What would be a series of decisions? And if you know what those decisions might be, if you know that path that may be tempting toward you, wouldn't it make sense like I've seen some, some former paths in White Clay Creek that have now been kind of all sorts of barricades to make sure like you're not going to ride your bike on this. You're not going to walk down this path. You're not going to run down this path. We're going to let this overgrow so that this will no longer be a path. Like wouldn't it make sense if I knew, if I knew there would be a path that would lead me away from God? Don't, don't you think the wisdom would be to barricade that path so I would not go down that path? I feel all this pretty intensely. I think about where does the path away from the Lord lead? I feel it intensely because I really, really, really don't want to see any of you fall away and walk away from Jesus. When you're a Christian, certainly when you're a pastor for long enough, you've seen it and it hurts. You've seen people turn their back You've seen people make those decisions. Sometimes it's because of suffering and it hardens them and they brings unwelcome questions and they begin to drift. Sometimes it's just like spiritual laziness. Sometimes it's sin and it's not confessed and it becomes easier to hide than confess it and it grows and grows and grows eventually and it just pulls someone away. And the path away from the Lord isn't pretty. I mean, you could tell yourself in this moment, I mean, you could tell yourself, it'll never happen to me which I think would be totally unwise. And you could also say, well, you know, Curtis, I hear you and I hear the warning loud and clear. I just, I'm going to make my own decisions. And when, I, when I'm ready to turn back from, to the Lord seriously, like I'll do it. I just, there's some things I want to do. I kind of want to test the waters on some things. And my fear in that sort of attitude is like, how do you know, how do you know you would be like ready to turn back to the Lord? How do you know that would be something you would even want? A path you would even pursue? Are you, do you have a guarantee of that? that? That would actually be something you would want. Again, I want to make sure the warning stays at about a 10. We feel the burden. I, I feel the burden. We have family members. We have friends that have made decisions walking away from Jesus. And it's part of what maybe even breaks our heart every Sunday and often throughout the week. And I'll tell you, I have seen people walk away, but I also have to tell you, I've seen plenty of people begin to struggle in their faith and not walk away, but hang on. I've seen people deal with horrible, horrible things. Things where, humanly speaking, I would go, I, I don't know that they'll recover from that. Their faith has taken such a hit. I don't know if they're going to survive that. And I've seen God's grace slowly rebuild, slowly bring some things back together. I've, seen, I've, seen, I've watched people like, fight sin and fight sin hard and, and lose, and yet God bring them back. I've seen people 
have their life blown up by their own decisions, by their own decisions, and God restored them. I've seen people struggle through grief and wrestle with mental illness and deal with recovery and walk a road of healing from abuse. I've watched people that were once proud be humbled and God rebuild their life back to something that is amazing and a testimony to his grace. And and that's a reason that for as long as like you have breath, as long as you have ears to hear, I will plead for you. Like Jesus gives that invitation, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest. And so Like, I'm not going to give up on the fact that there may be some here today that you may say, Curtis, I am far from God, and I would say, come back home. Whatever excuse, whatever obstacle, whatever whatever reason you would have in your mind why you wouldn't do that, I want to plead with you that there is a path back to Jesus. And by the way, as you take a couple steps down that path, you're going to realize he's already taken massive steps towards you. It's not lost. It's not hopeless. And I think the warning would say, please don't turn this down. Please don't turn this off if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I don't pretend it's easy. I think 100% walking with Jesus is hard. Holding on to our faith is hard, but I also realize there is one holding on to us. I want to say that's We don't just like schedule a bunch of activities at church just to keep people busy and keep the doors open and the lights on. I feel like it's so, so critical. When I I, I, I walked past room after room after room this morning at 945 and saw person after person like teaching God's word and listening to God's word, and I thought these are groups where that I I know there are no guarantees that someone's not going to like take some steps away, but I thought how... How important are these investments, bringing other people? There are ladies' groups that meet, men's groups that meet. How important are these? How important are these activities? There are people serving right now. How important are these to hold on to our faith? I do get fearful at times like, are are we going to get burned out of church activities? But I also am really, really fearful that someone could think, you know, I go to church about an hour a week. I go to church about an hour a month. And I think that'll be enough. I think that'll, that'll do it for me. And I go, are, are you serious? Are you serious in this fight? Or maybe things have gotten dull and you don't realize how deep of a struggle this is. I feel the teeth of this warning. I feel it. I feel it for us. I feel it for my own soul. I feel it for our family. And the, uh, the evaluation is strong. The warning is strong. But there is another like right at the end of this passage that we've looked at comes some words of encouragement. I want you to hear them in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. It's like the writer of Hebrews knows he's given an intense warning. Let's hear these words too. Though we speak in this way, and now it shifts not to those but to you, right? In your case, beloved, we feel sure, we're confident of better things, things that belong to salvation. God's not playing games here, right? For God is not unjust. It's not going to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints. You're still doing it. But here's what we desire, and I think I feel this desire. We desire each one of you, each one of us, to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, you may not be dull, but you would be 
imitating, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I find just here, not just evaluation and warning, but I find a solid word of encouragement. You come off this hard warning. And I hear the writer of Hebrews saying something that I want to say, and that's like I'm confident in talking with many of you. I'm confident you're in a better place. I'm confident that that your story isn't going to be one away from the Lord. I'm confident you're going to take a better course. I'm confident I'm watching your faith grow. I'm watching you rely on the Lord. I'm watching you listen. I'm watching as you repent and turn. And no one's perfect in here, but I'm watching you handle your sin and bring it to the Lord. I'm watching you become assured and hanging on, moving toward maturity. And I'm confident as we're pursuing him, he is going to save us. He is going to save us. He's going to rescue us. I see your work. I see how you love the saints. I see how Jesus said two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And I see that. I want to encourage, like, let's, let's keep on that path. Let's not get sluggish. Let's not get dull. Let's be eager. This even points us to, like, look around and be imitators of those who are patient and those who are enduring Like, none of that seems like we're going to, we have a license to be lazy. Like, none of that. Spiritually, how how could we ever be lazy? No, let's look at those. Let's find some models and maybe a a couple steps ahead of us and say, let's follow them. They seem devoted to the Lord and made their passion fuel us to say, you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to walk away from Jesus. We're going to keep following him. When I read faith and patience and hope, I think this is so active working to hold ground, working to hang on foot in front of the other. And God is faithful as we are putting those feet in front of the other. He is stabilizing us. By God's grace, we're not falling away. The writer of Hebrews was confident that better things were going on in the lives of his readers, the lives of those that would hear this message. So I want us to do the evaluation. Let God work, and it, as God works, be open and sensitive. Hear the warning. May that motivate us not to think we need to do a bunch of good works to perform, but to turn our eyes again to Jesus and say, you know what our encouragement is? You know what our only hope in life and death is? Christ. And we are eyes fixed on him, eyes locked on him, We're going to keep walking that direction. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to keep walking with us. We will endure faithful to the end. Can I pray for that? Can I pray that that would be the case for you? God, I thank you that you use evaluations, even the uncomfortable ones, to let us know where things are not right, things are not okay, where we're way, way too stagnant, where we are on the wrong trajectory. So for those in this room who the evaluation has, has revealed some important things, for those who feel the urgency of the warning, for those that feel maybe like they're on the outside looking in, I pray there would be such definitive encounters with your son 
So I pray for that person that doesn't know you, that maybe even in this moment they're calling out to you. I pray for that person that does know you. And they have sufficient warning here that they're going to turn back to you. And, and I pray for that one that maybe is fearful. And a warning like this puts off alarm bells in their heart. I pray that you would assure them with the truth of who you are and what you've done, and they would turn again to Christ. So, Lord, we need your help. This is a tough passage, and you can do immeasurably more than I could ask or think with it. So do that. Do that through the power working in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.